welcome to Life Tree. If you don't know, I am Pastor Dan, and uh, welcome. On Labor Day, you came to church, you get a lot of points. This is, this is I'm telling you, way to go. You, you, you did a great job. Thank you for being here today. I invite you to turn to James chapter 3 in your Bibles. Uh, if uh, you don't have one, you want to take one of the ones in the pews there, please feel free to grab one of those. Um, in a little bit, the verses will be on the screen as well. Um, as you're turning there, oh, there it goes again. Um, in our family growing up, all right. In our family growing up, uh, we had this ongoing conversation. And uh, whenever I or I have two sisters, two younger sisters, whenever we would do something good um, or extra special or helpful around the house, one of one of our parents would say this phrase. Something to the effect of, you're awesome, thank you for doing that. That's why we're going to leave you all our money. Happened all the time, right? You empty the dishwasher, you're the best. We're going to leave you all our money. Vacuum without being asked. Look at you. We're going to leave you all our money. And it was just said in front of us, like in front of all of us, so each of us heard it being said to one of the others. Like we knew this was a, an ongoing conversation. Um, and it was said to each of us, I've lost track of who got it, who it was said to the most. Uh, if my sisters are listening, it was probably me. Um, uh, I know it's kind of crass, uh, but we thought it was funny. It was a joke to us. We, 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 we enjoyed it. Uh, we especially thought it was funny because uh, we were pretty sure there wasn't going to be any money anyway. And so it wasn't like, it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. It doesn't make a difference. It was just a creative way for my parents to say thank you. That's essentially what it was. Um, there's a new commercial out. I don't know if you watch TV at all much uh, or if you watch anything with commercials with these Netflix and things, you know. But um, it's for Chewy. Who knows what Chewy is? A website retailer for pet supplies. Okay, how many of you use Chewy? All right. So I'm going to show you this commercial real quick. You can turn your attention to the screens. Let's watch. The company goes to the firstborn, Audrey. The model train set is entrusted to Todd. Mr. Marbles will receive recurring deliveries for all of his needs in perpetuity, thanks to auto ship from Chewy. I always loved that old man. What's this say about the summer house? Yeah, the beach the house. The summer yeah. residence goes to Mr. Marbles. <laughs> Plot twist. I'm sorry, what? Doesn't make logistical sense. Unbelievable. Pets aren't just pets. They're more. You got a train set, Todd. Save more on what they love and you never run out. You got a train set, Todd. Um, I think that's great that the cat got the beach house. Um, when we think about inheritances and who's going to leave your money and all that stuff, the thing that comes to mind is what's equitable, right? What's fair if you've done any estate planning, if you've ever you know, been through that experience, you think about what's fair. I read some John Grisham, and every time that there is some sort of will or estate that's in part of the story, right, you know there's going to be drama, high drama over who gets what. Right? Okay, who's going to get who's going to get this? Who's going to get that? Who's the favorite? Who's going to be left out? Apparently, Mr. Marbles was the favorite. Right? So that's what you got. Mr. Marbles was the favorite there. Um, the world is full of favoritism. Our world is full of favoritism. Um, some of it's great. Right? If you're your grandmother's favorite, how many of you you were your grandmother's favorite? Right? And your and your siblings would say, No, it was me. Right? Your grandmother's favorite. She always spoiled you, gave you a little extra, made you your favorite meal, things like that. Or maybe your dad was the coach in Little League, which meant you got to play shortstop. Right? You got to play shortstop and back cleanup, even though there were eight kids that were better than you. Right? Because <laughs> your dad was the coach. Um, that's why they call it daddy ball. Maybe you were the teacher's pet. 
right? In, 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 in school, you know, every, you, everybody knew that that teacher just like you or you're the boss's favorite or when you walk into the diner, they've got a special booth for you, right? You know, you, you've just got favoritism is kind of all around us. And it can feel really good to be the recipient of somebody's favoritism. Yes, like if you walk in and somebody's like, you're somebody's, yeah, it feels good, right? Until you're on the other side of it. And then it can be pretty frustrating, right? You could play shortstop so much better, but you're on the bench, right? Um, you worked harder and you went the extra mile and you've got better qualifications, but you don't have the right last name, so you didn't get the promotion, right? Or maybe you were judged based on the way you look or where you're from. See, we can feel that pain not uh, when we're not given something uh, so much because of not so much who we are, but because of who we're not, right? There's times where we miss out on stuff, not just because of who we are, but who we're, we're not. We're not the favorite, so we just don't get it, right? And when we're losing out, when we're on the winning side, it feels great. When we're somebody's favorite, no problem. When we're on the losing side, it's lousy, and we don't like it, and it's a huge problem in our world. It's woven into history in so many places, this concept of favoritism. It goes by many names. It goes by names like privilege and prejudice, and racism, and discrimination, and caste system, and nepotism. We live with the constant influence of bias. I don't think anybody would disagree with that, that there's, there's bias almost everywhere, everywhere. After I would get done with messages, right? I, every, you know, family comes to me, it was so great. I'm like, I can't trust a word you're saying because you are biased. It's just a reality we live with. It's prevalent and it's so prevalent in our world, we've simply learned to live with it. It doesn't mean we're okay with it. It doesn't mean we're fine with it. And we're like, ah, oh, it's no problem. We've just learned to not be surprised when we experience it. And sometimes we actually participate in it without even realizing it. Sometimes we, we do it. Malcolm Gladwell observed that it's easiest to recognize in our um, initial reactions, in first impressions, in, in your gut moments, in this book, Blink, he talked about this, that there are so many times where you just react and you don't even think about it, and that's the most clear example for you if you want to see what's inside you. Just pay attention to your initial reactions because you're going to have them. You may consciously choose not to act on those initial actions. You see somebody, you have an initial impression, you go, no, that's not right, I shouldn't judge them, and so you don't because you, you're consciously aware of that. But inside, there is bias. There's something in there. We all have favorites, and it can affect how we respond to others. Now we're in the middle of a series uh, examining what it looks like to live in this world with wisdom, right? That those who, uh, who live wisely flourish and they know peace and they bear good fruit in their lives and those who live foolishly suffer the consequences, right? So there's this kind of tension between living wisely and living foolishly and that's why it's important for us to identify and name what living wisely looks like and what living foolishly looks like. So today I invite you turn to James 3, as I said, for our wisdom decoder. It tells us what wisdom looks like so that we know which is which. And our aim for today is that we're going to see that favoritism is foolish and learn what its wise counterpart looks like. So James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, you can read along with me. It says this, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. There's also peace-loving gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds 
of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive, to discern, to understand what it is that you want to speak to each of us individually today. Give us ears to hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you remember, we, last week we talked about the phrase willing to yield, right? Uh, I'm sorry, a few weeks ago we talked about the phrase willing to yield, that it came from one word, right, that could be translated numerous different ways, right? That phrase was a, it was a, it was a unique word. It had only used one time in all of Scripture, and so we had to look at it from a, do, a number of different perspectives, from different translations, um, to help us understand what that phrase really meant. Like, what did that mean? Because it was only used that one time. Um, it happened again. James is just a unique guy. So the word that we're go- he used here for um, the phrase, it shows no favoritism. So that's the phrase here, right? It shows no favoritism. That phrase comes from one word, our English, right? It, it's kind of limited, right, written in Greek. So it's, it's got a whole, whole bunch of uh, context behind it. But that phrase, it shows no favoritism, comes from one word that was only used one time in all of Scripture. And so we need to do a little work to understand precisely what that means because it has some depth to it. So here's the one word. The one word, I will tell you, it doesn't make any difference, but I'll tell you, it says adiakritos, which comes from two words, alpha, which is used as a negative. It means the opposite, so it's like a negative, and diakrino which means to make a distinction, to separate, to discriminate, to judge. So it means not to judge, not to discriminate, not to make separation, not to make distinction, right? So it means something like without separation, without discrimination, without distinction. Here's how other translators interpreted the word. Again, we can look at other, um, other translations. That's what you have in translations. When you look at a Bible, and it's got little letters, NIV, NASB, ESV, KJV, NLT, all those different letters, they're just different translations. A bunch of people got together, looked at the text, and said, okay, this is how I think is the best way to say that, right? Because it's written in a language that we're not currently reading it. Unless you want to read it in the original Greek and you're, you understand contextually Koine Greek, good for you. I took one year of Greek in college, and it did me no good. I can barely pronounce the words. Uh, you'd have to study it for, for a, a lifetime to really get good at it. So, what we do is we read English translations, so that's what it is. None of them are perfect. They're just doing their best they can to figure out this is what it says. So here's what other translations interpreted for um, right, shows no favoritism. They did this, without partiality, impartial, unwavering, without doubting, without uncertainty, without variance, uncontentious, unquestioning. You can see there's, there's, there's quite a variety here of words that are being used to translate this one phrase. Put it all together and you get the kind of idea that wisdom from above is literally without distinction. You're unable to separate it. It's, it's absolutely equal. When you look at this side and you look at this side, you can't see a difference. The intent behind the word is that the judgment, the decision, the wisdom from above reveals no partiality. It has no bias. The New Living Translation that we're reading today does a pretty good job of capturing all this with the phrase, it shows no favoritism. I think it's pretty good. I think it makes sense, and so we're going to go with it. Wisdom does not play favorites. It's unbiased. It's impartial. It's equitable. Playing favorites is foolish. Treating everyone equally is wise. Makes sense, right? That's what you get. Playing favorites is foolish. Treating everyone equally is wise. So with that in mind, if you remember, each week we've identified that the wisdom 
from above, from God, reveals something about the nature of God, about the character of God. If, God, if the wisdom is pure, God is pure. If the wisdom is peace-loving, God is peace-loving. Right? So if the wisdom from above, if the wisdom from above shows no favoritism, is impartial, absolutely, then that means God is absolutely impartial. Shows no favoritism. He does not play favorites. And that sounds right. It makes sense in our heads. We go, yes, God is impartial. He does not play favorites. Except, if you know your Bible, there may be this thought creeping up in the back of your head, which happened to me as I was preparing for this message, and it went like this, hold up. What about the favor of God? Because that word is all over the place. It's everywhere. During the early years of the world, we're told God surveyed the world, was heartbroken at the evil he saw. And it says this, but Noah found favor with God. And we all know how that ended for the people and for Noah. So it seems like God played some favorites, right? In the life of Moses, he had an encounter with God as they're preparing to go into the promised land. And Moses asked for God's favor, and we're told that the Lord said back to Moses, I will indeed do what you asked for, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. God told Moses. God said it. I'm showing you favor. He admitted it. We're told Mary was shown favor when God chose her. Favored one of God. You're going to be the mother of the Savior. The Apostle Paul says, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. God even instructed Aaron and his sons to pray the priestly blessing, which goes like this. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God's telling people to ask for favor. So what's up with that? What do we do with that? How can a God who shows no favoritism simultaneously show favor? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, isn't that a contradiction? It's not coherent. It can't coexist. It's not possible. Is the Bible contradicting itself? Is God contradicting himself? We've talked about this. Contradiction, paradox, mystery. Contradiction can't be. Paradox doesn't seem like it. After further exploration, makes sense. Mystery, we'll never know. This, fortunately for us, I believe, is a paradox. It just needs more examination because the reality is that favor is not the same as favoritism. They're two totally different things. To be honest, they sound similar. They have the same word in it, but they couldn't be more different. Favor is unmerited good shown to an individual. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but God gave it. He showed you favor. It's a grace. It's a gift. God gave you favor. God pours out favor on all of us. All the good we have in our lives is a result of the favor of God, the goodness of God. It's a gift he gives to us. All those people that receive favor, they didn't earn it. God just gave it. It's a gift. Bishop T.D. Jakes has said this really famously, favor ain't fair. It's not because you deserve it. It's because God chose to give it. We all experience the favor of God every day. You couldn't live without it. I couldn't live without it. We've got favor all over our lives. God is a God who shows extravagant favor. Now, this is really important, and my thing is blipping out on me. Here we go. Maybe. All right. That's not, yeah, I'm not getting favor right here. This is just getting weird. All right, here we go. This is important. Favor operates in a limitless realm, which means 
there's enough favor for everybody. God has enough favor for everyone. Giving favor to one does not mean God can't give it to somebody else. All right. It's going to keep doing this. It's going to make me a little crazy here. What it means is there's enough favor for everyone. Favoritism, on the other hand, operates in limits, in a limited realm. To give to one means to not give to another. To show favoritism is to elevate and value one more than another. It not only chooses to do good to one, but chooses to withhold good from another. God constantly shows favor. God never displays favoritism. But here's why it can get confusing for us. Sometimes it looks and feels like God is playing favorites. Like he is doing good for others that he's not doing for me. And so we naturally conclude God must like them better. That's what it feels like. It's what our mind is telling us, that we must not be as special to God as they are. God is showing them more good because of who their family is or because of how talented they are or because they are how holy they are because of something about them that he must like more than something in me, something I don't have. And it's just not true. It's critical for us to understand. It has huge implications for us. God can't show favoritism. It would violate his character. He is just. You can't be more equitable than God. You can't be more equitable than God. He is so fair. That means, this is really big, that means God is just as good to you as he is to everybody else. I want you to think about that for a second. God is just as good to you as he is to everybody else. Does it feel like that? Does that challenge your emotions, your feelings? Are there times you go, it doesn't feel like God is as good to me as he is to everybody else. It doesn't feel equitable. See, because God does not do good to one at the expense of another. God does not favor someone else over you for any reason. God is even, absolutely equitable. What he does is equally good for everyone. He shows no favor. You can't be more fair. You can't be more just than God. So here's what we miss and why we feel like that. Just because God does just as much good for you as anybody else, it does not mean God does the same things for you that he does for everyone else. God does not do the same things for everyone. God may do one kind of good for one and a different kind of good for someone else. And God may do a kind of good for someone else that we want him to do for us. Yes, God, you're doing good over there. Could you give me some of that? I would really like what you're doing over there. And he may not do that for you. And it's not because he's playing favorites. It's because God knows in his infinite wisdom what is good for them is not good for you. God knows everything. Remember, he knows all the reasons. He couldn't be more reasonable. He knows all the facts. He knows everything that surrounds your life. He loves everybody equally. He does equal good for everyone. And it may not look or feel 
equitable, but that doesn't mean it isn't, just that we can't see it. God does just as much good for you as he does for anyone else. Oof. Psalm 84, 11. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Does that sound limited or limitless? There is no end. If it's good for you, God can give it to you. And he doesn't have to take it from anybody else. He has all the good stored up for you, and he can give it to you, and it does not affect one iota anybody else. God is limitless in his favor. He can pour it out on everyone. He holds nothing back. He doesn't play favorites and give some to you while withholding it from somebody else. He doesn't work like that. He does good for everyone equally. So what? So what? If that's true, then there are two action steps we can take to walk in wisdom. If this is all true, just that's it, and I really want that's where I really want to land and, and spend time here. Here's some action steps. Number one, first, stop comparing your good with others' good. Stop comparing your good with others' good. You ever do that? You look around at somebody else, and you're like, man, look at how much good God's doing over there. Doesn't look like mine. Looks different. Theirs looks better. It's like when you get a meal, you're like, how come I got this and you got that? It's especially like at, at, at weddings. You go to reception, everybody's getting the same thing, same plate, but their piece of steak looks just a little bigger and better than yours. What's the deal? It's supposed to be equitable here. How come you got the bigger one? For me, it's the desserts. How'd they get a bigger piece of cake? Like, why, what? What's so special about why, why didn't I get? Stop comparing your good with somebody else's good. Jesus told a story about a man who hired some workers one morning, and they agreed to work for him. They, went, they agreed on the pay for the day. They went to work, and around lunchtime, the man saw some other guy standing. He said, hey, come work for me, and, and they went to work. And then it happened two more times throughout the day. would go as the day went on, saw people said, hey, come work. At the end of the day, the workers come to get paid, and those who were, began to work last, they come in. And they get paid for a full day. The people that start in the morning, they're like, oh, if they got paid a full day, I must be getting more. But as they come to get their pay, they're all getting the same amount. They're not happy. What's the deal with that? I worked harder than them. I did more than them. Jesus says, the man replied with a question. He says, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? God is going to show favors to others. And it's going to be different than what he does with you. And we can live our life comparing. Comparison is the thief of joy. You've heard this? We can live our lives comparing. Other people say, it's not fair. I did more. I deserve more. I work. It's all favor. We deserve nothing. God gets to do as much good as he wants. When you compare, all you accomplish is you take your eyes off of the good God is doing for you. 
When you compare, all you do is just say, I can't even see what God's doing in my own life because I'm so set on what he's doing on everybody else. I lose sight of the good in my own life. If God truly plays no favorites, stop wanting the good he's doing for others and trust and be thankful for the good he's doing in you. That that is perfectly good. God withholds no good from you as long as you follow him. We got to trust that if we're following God, there's nothing he's holding back from us. There's no good that God could be giving to us that he's not because he's given it to somebody else. It doesn't work like that. The wisdom from above shows no favoritism because God shows no favoritism. Can't do it. One, stop comparing. Two, as you seek the wisdom of God, trust that it will be equally good for everyone. See, here's the thing. When you find yourself in the valley of decision, a little bit of a different spin here. When you find yourself in the valley of decision, you're trying to make a decision about how to respond to somebody, how to react. We can spend a lot of energy trying to figure out what will lead to the most good for everyone. Similar to the the peace message, right? We want to do what's good for us and for everyone involved. We want to try and engineer the good. We want to work out the good. I want to make sure this is good. When I was in college, again, later on in life, my parents sensed God just leading them to move to Mexico City to serve there as missionaries. I was pretty independent. I was coming to the end of my college time at that point, but my, my younger sister was just starting college. My other sister was still at home and uh, just starting high school. They were, my parents were wrestling with trying to figure out how it was going to impact each of us. How do we How do we orchestrate this so that there's good for you and good for you and good for you and good for you? And when they were in that valley of decision, my parents felt God drop this wisdom into their hearts. What's good for one Greco is good for all Grecos. What's good for one Greco is good for all Grecos. That's what James is saying here. God does good for one, we can trust that it's not just good for you, and it's going to be to anybody else's harm. If it's good for you, it will be good for everybody else too. God doesn't lead us to do things that are only good for us, but that will bring harm to anybody else, which means you don't have to figure out how it's going to be good for everybody. That's God's job. You get to simply be obedient. God, I don't know what to do here. And God says, do this. And you go, but if I do this, it might not be good for these reasons, for these people. It may have other implications. And God says, hey, I don't prompt you to do things that are only going to be good for you. I play no favorites. If this is good for you, you do it. And trust that it will be good. And even if you can't see how, even if you don't understand it, remember, peace-loving at all times leads to peace for everybody else. Shows no favoritism. Who comes gently. He's not going to force you to do it, but he's going to say, hey, I'm telling you. You do this. Trust me. And don't play favorites. I do the utmost good for everybody. All the time. Our family has been starting a lot of new things this fall. 
lot of change in our life. Our older son, Ethan, is at college, first-time freshman. The younger two are starting a new school. In the past week and a half, uh, we've, as a family, had an opportunity to attend a couple of, call them convocations, openings of the schools, these services. And uh, in both of them, the school leadership shared a devotional from, from Scripture as part of these convocations. And they both used the same exact verse. Just so happens. It's Romans 8.28. Just so happens. And it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the what? For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He causes what to work together? Oh, yeah, everything. Everything to work together for good. He knows how to make it all work together for good. I watch a lot of chess. I like, I like to try and learn how to play chess. Man, I know nothing. Their chess is, these people are making moves. I'm like, how do they know to do all that stuff? I mean, I try and defend, Sicilian defense. All this, like, I feel like I'm playing checkers while everybody else is playing chess. I cannot orchestrate all of these things. I can't even figure out a game, let alone life. You're listening for the wisdom from above. And if you'll do what he prompts you to do, you can have peace to know that everything will work together for good. Because that's how God is. What you're doing will lead to the greatest good, not just for you, but for everyone around you. God promises I don't play favorites. Even if it doesn't feel like good, if it doesn't sound or smell or look like it, you can trust will be good. I'm going to close with communion this morning. Communion is a regular practice that we have as a church. If you're a guest with us, you don't feel obligated to participate, but you are welcome to. You don't need to be a member or anything. All you need to have is a personal relationship with Jesus. If you have that, we welcome you to participate with us today. And I'm pretty sure Jesus had to live out this trust that God doesn't play favorites in his goodness. Listen, if anyone, if anyone should have been the recipient of favoritism, don't you think it would have been Jesus? Like if God was going to play favorites, it was going to be with his son, right? Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. And he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. That sound like God's favorite to you? Sound like favoritism? If that's God's favorite, I don't want to see what he's got for everybody else. God doesn't play favorites. No way that felt good to Jesus. 
There's no way in that moment as he was walking through those trials that he was sitting there going, I feel like this is fair or good. He didn't deserve it. Actually, more than anybody, he didn't deserve it. But it was the Lord's, what? Oh, yeah, good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Our God can't help but do good. Today, in a moment, we're going to take our communion elements. It's a regular reminder that our God does nothing but good for us. Jesus showed us what faith and trust in that goodness looks like. Communion is about favor. Couldn't be any clearer that God doesn't play favorites. He allowed his son to be crucified. But God is all about good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. Before we do, I'm going to ask the band to sing. Just a part of this song. You can stay seated. I'm going to ask you just to sing. And as we sing, I want you to think about the words. I want you to search your heart and say, God, one, forgive me for comparing. Two, help me to trust in your goodness. To trust that what you say will be good for everyone. That you do just as much good for us as you do for everyone else. Let's sing. As you may all things work together for my good. Oh, you made all things work together for my good. You made all things work together for my together for my good yes you do oh you make all things work together for my good oh you make all things work together for my good oh you make all things work together for can separate even if I ran away cause your love never fails I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day oh, your love never fails and you say the same through the ages 
you stay the same through the ages Cause your love never changes There may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be I know that you love me Oh, your love never fails Oh, thank you, Lord You see, the wind is strong The wind is strong and the water's deep I'm not alone here in these open seas Your love never fails chasm was far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side Your love never fails Oh, can you stay the same? You stay the same through the ages Oh, your love never changes There may be pain the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid, because I know that you love me. See, you make all things, all things work together for my good oh cause you made all things work together for my good yes you do oh you made all things work together for my good oh you made all things work together for my good. I invite you to take out your elements. If you did not receive communion elements when you came in, please just raise your hand. Our make sure that you, you get them. Anybody didn't get it, just raise your hand. They're right back there in the back. Let's make sure they get everybody served. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Make sure that we get you, everybody. All right. Bread and the cup, they're symbolic. The bread, it represents his body. The favor of God. The favor of God. He loves us so much, he sent his son as a gift to us. To show us the way to God the Father. We didn't deserve it. But God poured out his favor on us and gave us Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this bread, for what it represents. We thank you for your, Lord, extravagant love that you have poured out on us. You sent your son. Lord, there is no limit to Jesus. He is available to all. Lord, a relationship with you is available. The door is open wide for everyone. There's no limit. You welcome all who would come to believe, to receive the life that you give. 
thank you, God, for what you've done for us, for the great love and favor that you showed us. We remember that today. It's in your name we pray. Let's eat together. And the cup represents his blood. I think this proves God doesn't play favorites. <laughs> the blood of Jesus proves God doesn't play favorites. Gives us confidence that he is doing the highest good for us. There's no place for comparison in our lives. He does as much good for us as he did for Jesus. As much as he's done for anyone ever. If anything, Jesus might actually have an issue with us. <laughs> like, come on, God. How good is God that he gave us his son? Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this cup. Lord, that you poured out your blood for us. It came at a cost proves you don't play favorites. There is no bias in you. You are equitable. You do good, the fullest good for everyone. Forgive us for comparing. Help us today to be grateful, to turn our eyes instead off of others and onto the good that you have done for us. Let us live in gratitude for what you have done for us. You are so mighty so loving. We thank you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. I'm going to invite our ushers forward. We're going to close our service in just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to close us with that song again. Just keep singing through that. just want to encourage you. It's a brand new day. Whatever you walked in here with, whatever shame, guilt, though our sins were like scarlet, yet we are now white as snow. How good is he? How good is he? Let's take a moment and praise. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your demonstrated love that you have done for us so much good. Thank you, God. Help us clearly not to show favoritism. Help us to give plenty of favor. Let us stop comparing. Help us to start being grateful for all that you have done for us. There's no limit to your good. We return, Lord, again, our tithes and our offerings to you. Lord, we trust you with all of this. It is all for our good. Continue to do good for us, Lord, as we are faithful and obedient to you wonderful name we pray. Amen. God bless you.